You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Good morning. It is so good to be here today. And I know there are a lot of people online, people here, but for me, it's good to be right here. I knew I was giving the message today, and so I was reviewing it yesterday at about one o'clock. And we get the first of an email chain that started with PD saying, there's been some interesting developments as far as tomorrow's service. And that was quite an understatement. We started emailing back and forth as to how church was going to look today. And part of it was what we're doing, but another part was I was gonna film my message, Jimmy was gonna film his music, and we do it all online like we did at the start of COVID. And for me, that was a little problematic, only because I have five dogs at my home and six chickens. And so getting a spot where it is quiet is very difficult for me. But you know, I thought I'll go out back, it was a nice day. Unfortunately, we have dogs around all of us, but I thought they can't all be barking at the same time. And then I realized that my neighbor was doing work on his house and power tools were going. So you don't even know how happy I am instead of filming this in a closet with a single bulb over my head that I'm here right now. So it's good to see everybody. And thank you for joining us online. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of the scripture from Philippians 1, 19 to 21. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, This will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Go ahead and have a seat. Expectations. We all have them. How did your expectations go for the holiday season? get everything you expected? Was there any anxiety? Was there fear? Was there happiness? Did you expect more? Did you expect less than what happened? You know, we had an interesting experience this Christmas with my oldest son and grandson. Now, if you ask my wife, Stacy, or my daughter, Katie, or my daughter-in-law, Michelle, they will tell you that getting Sturgis men to talk is not an easy task. And so every time we get together, they are tasked with trying to get me and my sons and my grandson to talk. So our oldest son and grandson came from Amarillo for Christmas. And the last few years when we've gotten together, it has been very frustrating because our expectation, mine and Stacy's, is that we'll get together and have these lovely conversations. But in reality, what happens is we will ask our grandson a question and he will just look at us or he'll look at his dad and maybe we'll get a one-syllable answer. And I don't know about you, but when you have these expectations that there's gonna be this great conversation and nothing happens, it's frustrating. So this year, Stacy said, I'm gonna have no expectations. I don't care if we talk at all. I don't care if I hear a single word from any of them. That's my expectation for this Christmas. And something kind of magical happened. My grandson's now at a certain age, and my son just seemed to be more open, and they talked and we had great conversations. It was wonderful. My grandson's always been a great guy, but now he and I talked. It was fantastic because Stacy 
decided we weren't going to have any expectations. There wasn't any frustration. She couldn't be disappointed because she didn't expect anything. But what a glorious gift we got by being able to talk. You know, expectation is defined as a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. Three years ago on February 4th, we had Shea Romero's first prayer service right here. Now, Shea is a young lady at first who was diagnosed with stage four cancer, and she's about four days different in age from my daughter, Katie. And so my wife, Stacy, and Carla, who is Shea's mom, were talking on the phone when this happened. And Carla asked Stacy, can we do a prayer service for Shea? And because Stacy has nobody to answer to here at church, she said, sure, that's fine, which was the right answer. And so we put this together. Now, first was going through a transition in ministers at that time as well, and Tom, our pastor who was leaving, was also setting up a counseling practice. So I called Tom and I said, hey, we've got this set up for Monday. Can you be there? And he said, I really can't. He goes, I'd like to, but I have a patient that I can't get out of. And so Stacy and I looked at each other and we started looking at the internet because we didn't do prayer services here at first and I or Stacy had no idea what one consisted of. So we kind of had low expectations for ourselves and didn't know what would happen. Shay gave Jimmy a couple songs that she would like to have sung and I borrowed a script from the internet and we all gathered here and off we went. And then God took over. You know, Jim and Carla, who were Shay's parents, would speak at the beginning of each service about where Shay was in the process. And stepping aside, I didn't know the Romeros that well until those prayer services. But what a family of faith and a fine family representing first and what God can do in people's lives. So they would get up there and they would hand out prayer scriptures that they were praying over Shay every day. And I remember being right down here and looking out at a crowd of between 75 and 100 people. People had come from Texas, people from here, all to try and help Shay through prayer. But I remember looking out when I was getting ready to start my script and everybody's head was just kind of down because we didn't know what to do. We were nervous, we were afraid, we had never really done this before. And then something touched me, and I'll tell you, it was the Holy Spirit, because it was not in my script, and I was so relying on my script. And God just said, ask them if they're here in my name. Because where two or three are gathered in God's name, he is also. And that's what I asked, and I saw every single hand go up. And I saw Jim Romero's face lift up a little bit, and I knew that God was present. I didn't know what the outcome was gonna be, but I knew God was present. And there were times during those prayer services I would almost cry because Jim and Carla and I never talked before those services about what they were going to say or what scriptures I was going to have. But I can't tell you how many times they would get up and say something that matched the scripture I had and was getting ready to say. And it was no big surprise that the music was fantastic as well. And there was one service, and I remember, I think it was the second or third one, where Jimmy and I were here after it was done. And people just wouldn't leave. They had prayed over her, they'd touched her, they'd laid hands on her, but they just wouldn't leave. 
And I made a comment to Jimmy that I think this is what church is supposed to look like. And I can tell you that I've never experienced physically the Holy Spirit like I did for Shay's services, and then some that we had for Lawrence Garcia, who's an elder here who had kidney cancer, and then for Sandy Sandine, the Holy Spirit was working through all of us during those prayer services. And as an update on Shay, I talked to Carla yesterday, and she said that Shay is scheduled for a CT scan on February 2nd. So that always brings some anxiety, so if you just keep them in your prayers, coming to February 2nd. All that was with no expectation, and yet God provided. He didn't provide the outcome, but he provided the way to get through those services. And as I was thinking about Shay, it led me to believe, I want, or, or think, what did the disciples expect from Jesus? When they were called, what was their expectation? They spent three years from him, so what did they expect? It's pretty clear from the Bible that Israel in general had high expectations for the coming Messiah and his kingdom. They'd been waiting for hundreds of years for the Messiah to come and restore the Davidic throne. They wanted the Messiah to overthrow the Romans, to wipe out all of Israel's enemies, and usher in all of the promises that had been made to Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets. And that's kind of what the disciples clearly expected. And if we're honest sometimes, isn't that what we expect when we say, oh, I wish Jesus would come back? Don't we really want something wiped out that we don't like? You know, you can see the disciples jockeying for position here on earth when they are talking about the kingdom of heaven that Jesus spoke of. In Matthew 18, verses 1 to 5, the disciples show their misunderstanding of what greatness is. They come to Jesus saying, who is the greatest disciple in the kingdom of heaven? Clearly, they were asking as far as here on earth, you know, who's, who's going to be what? Am I going to be the general? Am I the secretary of defense? What, what's my job? And Jesus answers by calling a child and putting the child in, in the midst of them. And he says, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives such a child in my name receives me. And Luke is a little more blunt and when asked the question by the disciples, and he says it in a different way. In chapter 9, verse 46, he talks about an argument among the disciples as to which of them is the greatest, clearly jockeying for a position that they thought would be here on earth. And in Matthew 20, verses 20 and 21, James and John even solicit their mom to go talk to Jesus. Hey, can they have the best two positions, one on the right and one on the left-hand throne of God? Can you even imagine what the disciples were thinking when they entered Jerusalem? Three years they'd been waiting, and now they're here to reclaim the city. At least you have to believe some of them thought that. And then most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. By spreading their cloaks on the road, the crowd's showing their submission to the king. And they think the king is Jesus, come to overthrow the Romans. Because their forefathers had done this hundreds of years before, as we see in 2 Kings. Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under the steps. 
And they blew the trumpet and pro proclaimed, Jehu is the king. And John, he says, that they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Certainly everyone, disciples included, had their own expectations, their strong belief of what was going to happen. And that belief was that Jesus would be an earthly king. Rome would fall and Israel would reign on earth. Fortunately for us, those expectations weren't met. And now back to Paul as he writes in Philippians. He's in prison, and he says, But I know this shall turn to my salvation according to my earnest expectations. It's important to know the role our expectations have as it relates to us being content in whatever state we're in, gracefully waiting until the Lord's word is performed in our lives. Strong's, Strong's Concordance says that earnest expectation means an intense anticipation. Paul was content in prison because he intensely anticipated salvation. That was his expectation. And because that's what he intensely anticipated, he went on to say that it was his earnest expectation and hope that in nothing would he be ashamed. In what context could Paul feel ashamed? And there would only be one thing, and that would be failing. And the only way Paul could fail was if he believed in the wrong thing. But Paul's belief and faith were rock solid. I think you could restate that scripture this way. I'm absolutely confident. I earnestly expect, I intensely anticipate that in nothing shall I be ashamed. And if, even if it's in death or life, my life will glorify God. Paul didn't fear death because he intensely awaited salvation. And that made his ministry bold and unafraid. He was saying it didn't matter if he lived or died because to live is Christ and to die is gain, salvation. He hadn't put his trust, his life, in believing something worthless, and as Christians, neither have we. Paul believed that the situation he was in was going to turn to his salvation no matter what happened here on earth. That's intense anticipation. When we intensely anticipate the promise of God, we know that it's going to turn to our salvation one way or the other, because God has promised never to leave us or forsake us. We can rejoice in the Lord because we can know in, and intensely anticipate our situations turning around tomorrow. But what if tomorrow comes and nothing changes? Well, then we have to give up and lay down our expectations and rely on the word of God for God's expectations. We have to give away our timetables we have to pray to God our hurts, our worries, and yes, even our doubts. And then as we build up that anticipation in God's promises, we go out the door and live that day. This is a daily battle because the world outside wants us to believe that what we are believing is wrong, that it's not the way to live. It's a daily and even hourly process. It's what the fight of faith is all about. Expectation really is the final step to being content while we wait for salvation. If you intensely anticipate that the answer will come tomorrow, you can enjoy today. And as Christians, we have the final answer, whether it comes today or tomorrow or 20 years from now, 
and that's salvation. And that's really the life of faith. Expectation allows us to feel content, whatever state we're in, because we know what's coming. It's really an extension of faith, and it's a final step towards maturing faith. But it's not an automatic thing. Faith is when we believe the word is true, but we have to personalize it to us to have God's expectations. And some people, myself included, at times have a hard time personalizing the word of God because we feel unworthy or condemned or ashamed. Maybe it's a past lifestyle that makes them feel unworthy or unable to receive God's promises for their life. Maybe it's an illness or a situation. It could be anything that keeps us from receiving the Word of God personally for us. We believe the Word of God is true, but maybe just not for me. Expectation comes when you believe God's Word is His will for you and for me. Proverbs 23:18 says, Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. This can be talking about an end to your life, an end to a present battle or struggle you're facing, or whatever it is you're trying to overcome. There will be an end to the battle you're facing, but it may not be on our timetable, or it may not be how we want it to end here. But we should intensely anticipate its end. Do you know people who always expect the worst? Oh, my job's terrible. Oh, I don't have enough money. Oh, this. Oh, that. It's just terrible. And nobody wants to be around them because they have such lowered expectations. And we try and stay away from them. But honestly, aren't there quite a few of those people in the church today? They're just nothing is what they want. A lot of times, we really don't believe we can receive the promises of God's word, but boy, we're so eager to believe that we can get the short end of the stick. You know, there's really only two types of expectation. There's negative and there's positive. And really negative comes from past experiences. I've had three bad girlfriends in a row. Oh boy, next one's gonna be just like the last ones. Or I've been trying to lose weight for 20 years Lost some one time, but I gained it all back. I guess I just don't know how. And we expect our future to be what our past is. Positive expectations come from God, and they come from the study of God's Word. And I don't mean positive just like have happy thoughts. What I mean is having an expectation that God's words and promises are for you and for me. And that's true no matter where we come from, what our past is, or wherever you are right now. In one of my favorite stories from the Bible, we see this type of change in expectation in the Apostle Peter. And it's because of the God we serve, and the Son who gave his life for us, and the Spirit that fills us. So Peter's denied Jesus three times. He's run away, he's hidden himself in a locked room with the other disciples, he's scared, I don't know that he saw Jesus die on the cross, but certainly he's heard about it because the other disciples are there, including John. And they're locked away. And twice Jesus appears. But Peter still is scared. They don't know what to do. And then eventually, 
they leave the room and they go down by the sea and they're walking along and Peter says, I'm going fishing. That's who Peter is, he's a fisherman. So he decides, I'm going fishing because he just doesn't know what to do. So he and some of the other disciples go out in the boat and they fish and they don't catch anything. And Jesus is on the shore. They don't know it's Jesus at the time, but as they're coming back in, probably frustrated at not catching any fish, Jesus calls out and said, hey, did you catch any fish? And they yell back, no, not a single one. And Jesus says, put the net on the other side. And I can just imagine the talk in the boat, just do it, just don't throw it over the other side, and they do. And it is filled up with so many fish that they can't pull it into the boat. And all of a sudden, John tells Peter, you know who that is over there? That's our Lord, that's Jesus. And Peter, because he's Peter, throws on his outer garment, jumps over the edge of the boat to get to Jesus as quickly as he can. So why is that one of my favorite stories? I mean, other than Peter being Peter, which I love to see through the Bible. It's because it shows that despite Peter having denied Jesus three times, right before Jesus was crucified, and knowing that a lot of what Peter had said, the, you know, the braggadocio that he had, I'll stand with you till death, I'll do this, I'll do that, was just talk. And despite all this, he knew with absolute certainty that God's word through Jesus was for him. And it was for him personally. And it was his expectation of who Jesus was, not of what Peter was, that allowed him to jump into the water, needing to get to Jesus. And Peter was right. Because if we look at what happened, Jesus didn't reprimand Peter. He didn't say, hey, I told you you were going to deny me three times. I told you. You didn't mean what you said about going with me. To... He didn't do any of that. What did he do? He fed Peter. He fed his flock. Even though Peter had denied Jesus three times, then he reaffirms Peter's love for him and gives Peter the commission to feed his flock and tend his sheep. That's the God we serve. No matter where you are, God won't hold it over you. And the sacrifice that Jesus has made makes it possible for our expectations to change. It's kind of funny because even after all that, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, the disciples still don't quite totally get it because the last thing they say to him is, hey, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? And he goes up into heaven. They still had earthly expectations. And we, of course, have our expectations. But the more we can change our focus from negative expectations, we can do that through God's word. And Paul tells us what will happen because in 2 Corinthians, he's writing, and in chapter 1, verse 8, he speaks of the affliction they experienced in Asia, that they were so utterly burdened beyond their strength that they despaired for life itself. And yet in chapter 4 of the same letter, he writes, starting in verse 16, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, 
that the things that are unseen are eternal. So Paul, even though he's dealing with an affliction that he describes earlier as life-threatening, calls that light and momentary. He refers to two realms of truth, the spiritual and the temporal. And the temporal realm is the one that we have here, the one we can see and taste and touch, the one we're in right now. But it's called temporal because that means temporary, and it's subject to change. Now, that's not to say we don't live in this world, because we do. But as we're told, we're not of this world. We live here, and we are, our job here is to glorify God, to show everybody outside that door and in this room and online God's grace and love and mercy. And that's really the only reason we're here. So we need to focus on the unseen realm. But how do we do that? We can't see it. We don't know what it is. It's when we concentrate on God's Word and we spend time with the Word of God because the Bible is the revelation of the unseen. Heaven, hell, God, Satan, life, death, good and evil are all part of the unseen realm and they're all in the Bible. And the Bible is truth that never changes. Thinking and focusing on God's Word changes our expectations. And instead of having expectations that cause us anxiety and fear that fail to come about, we rely on God's Word and God's expectations to intensely anticipate our salvation. They're eternal and they never change and they are personal to you and to me. Anything we can see or taste or touch, that can all change. But change can happen here when we embrace by faith and focus on God and live our lives through Christ. Once we shift our focus from natural things to unseen things through the Word of God, fill ourselves with His Word, fill ourselves with the eternal truths and promises and not the negatives that surround us, our afflictions here then become light and temporary because we're just passing through. The negatives lessen in intensity because our focus is on God and salvation. And we can enjoy life while we wait for our eternity in his presence. So what does life look like when we focus on God in the unseen realm? What does it look like here? I think it looks like loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, and loving our neighbors and as ourselves. That's what we're called to do every time we leave this room. It's what we're called to do every minute we're here, whether it's another minute, another decade, another 50 years. That is why we're here. And if you're here somewhere out on the sea or you're online and you're just at a place where you don't know if God's promises are for you, let me tell you, Jesus is still at the shore and he's waiting for you to come and to come give your life to him and he will feed you and he will take care of you. And God's expectations will result in your salvation. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for being our salvation, for guiding us when we don't know what we should do or where we should go. God, if there are people out there today who need your saving grace and mercy, may you reveal them to us that we might guide them to you so that they might have the eternal promises that you've given us personally for them personally. 
God, we thank you for your son Jesus that you gave to us on the cross that we might now have the Holy Spirit living in us. And it's in your son's holy name that we pray. Amen.